back in the studio myself and Alex Wong next week. Um, but uh, yeah, for now, we're going to try to enjoy the holidays and, uh, you know, continue bringing the show just, you know, virtually, obviously, you know, you can listen, obviously, through podcasts and through the radio and, you know, continue to follow the team, which the Raptors right now struggling. Um, another bad defensive performance last night. Um, the Raptors losing to the Clippers, giving up 124 points. And yeah, I wanted to hear from Blake Murphy on a Wednesday. Um, so no no Tuesday, no drop for, for Blake today. But, uh, you know, Blake was at the arena last night along with myself. And um, yeah, just, just your impressions, Blake, of, of seeing the Raptors in person last night and, and, and sort of the, uh, the, the defensive effort or lack thereof. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, uh, there are a couple spots where media sit for games. and Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm going to – this is going somewhere. It's not a complaint. It's, oh, okay, uh, go ahead. It's actually a benefit of, of uh, you know, you, you become a Leafs and Blue Jays radio guy. You get downgraded to the gondola. Um, but, no, it's, so there are a couple areas. And one, obviously Matt and Jack or, or Matt and Leo or, or Matt and Alvin, depending on the day, are courtside and then most media are about 20 rows up in the 100 section off to the corner and mm. then there's some overflow media so will and alex and jr and a couple other people will be up in the 590 radio booth and then there are some overflow media seats uh as well uh-huh. up in the gondola so you're kind of like over the 300 level and then like leaning out over the court a little bit more and a reason that i really like those seats it's a little less convenient post game but for watching a game it's kind of like getting the all 22 video that the nfl has where you can kind of see you get the camera view where you can see everything that's going on not where the cameras and the producers decide you get to see um so from up there you can kind of if you're looking for it, get a little bit better understanding of, of how an offensive sequence work of how a defense is working. And the big takeaway last night, this is only my second game sitting up there this year is man. A lot of the Raptors defensive issues, you can see it playing out four or five seconds before the shot happens. This is not, Mm. this is not a case of really good shot making by the other team. Sure. There are some nights or some shots, but what you really see from that kind of view and when you're really dialed in on the defense is that this is a start-to-finish defensive issue for this team right now. It's not a one mistake late in the chain. It's a, They're getting picked apart throughout defensive possessions. It was pretty stark to see yesterday, especially when it's Zubats and Norman Powell doing it to you and Kawhi's basically chilling for the game. Uh, man, I, I know, Will, you were getting pretty passionate up there. Uh, a couple, oh, I, I would never. Come on. Me. <laughs> that's that's where I thought you were going with, with that, this, Blake. Though, on the defensive side, that like a lot of last night and what we've been seeing is, you know, you can kind of see it unfold. It's almost like it's in slow motion, right? When you have that yeah. view, you could see it coming. Yeah, no, I, and that's that's the main reason why I like sitting up there, in addition to the fact that, you know, you can just kind of like, um, enjoy the game. Let's just say that. But I, I think for me, it was just like you could see the entire chessboard, and I agree with you. Like a lot of the the breakdowns, you could see well in advance. And I think you know, um, just having just come back from practice, literally just now from from uh, from hearing Nick speak, you know, it was, it was it was interesting because his big takeaway was not necessarily like, look, the Raptors schematically, you know played it wrong or anything like that it was just like the lack of energy and focus like there just wasn't enough of that 
last night. And yeah, listen, I I, I can definitely um, sympathize with a coach when you know you put together these these plans, these schemes, and obviously Nick is definitely one of the more creative ones on the defensive end in terms of that. But when you don't come out and execute with any sort of energy, um, you know, it, it leads to nights like that. Um, you know, I, I thought the only one that really popped energy wise for me last night was, was Scotty in the first quarter. I thought he was very active. One of his best quarters of the season, I would even say, I think he already had seven or eight rebounds just by the end of the first quarter, which, um, you know, was impressive because of the fact that obviously he's playing center. He's, he's out there guarding Zubac and obviously Zubac got him a couple of times, just like Zubac got everybody a couple of times. But I thought Scotty actually gave you a pretty good shot of energy with his effort at the start of the game. And he was pushing the pace. But then it felt like once he kind of got clipped on a screen and he was fighting through, I think Norm set a screen actually. And and it was a great job by Scotty to fight over the screen because it actually forced a turnover uh, on the moving screen. But after that, it felt like the energy of the team just kind of dropped off because Scotty was really leading on that front. And yeah, over the course of the game, it just felt like, man, the Clippers got whatever they wanted. And when that happens, it really is a sign that like they just weren't defending well. You know, I, I think to me, it was also interesting hearing Nick talk at practice because, you know, Michael Grange, Sportsnet, one of our teammates, asked him a question about the fact that Kawhi talked about after the game last night how um, he knew kind of what was coming, right? He knew what to anticipate because the Raptors have all, always thrown double teams and trapped them and stuff like that. And Kawhi was just basically like, like I was just trusting my teammates. And he, in the stats show that he had eight assists. He only had one turnover. Did a really great job of sort of taking care of the basketball when he saw two guys and, and finding guys open. So, so Grange was relaying that message uh, that that Kawhi was saying to Nick, and Nick actually kind of pushed back and said they didn't really trap Kawhi last night. In fact, they only did it like once or twice. What was your thoughts on that? Because to me, at least just watching from that perspective, it did look like the Raptors sent double teams at Kawhi quite often. Uh, but it was interesting to hear Nick push back on that idea. What were your thoughts on sort of how the Raptors approached that uh, that specific matchup? Yeah, I haven't gotten to do my my rewatch of it yet, but I thought for sure the the assist numbers and the uh, how little Kawhi was involved as a scorer outside of kind of transition opportunities was you know what you expect from this team. So um, it was a little odd to hear Nick say that or, or read the quotes of, of Nick saying that today. Um, you know, it, I guess technically. Synergy only logged five of the Clippers pick and rolls as being trapped by the Raptors last night, which okay. isn't a, a crazy high number when they, they had 33 possessions um, finish with the pick and roll ball handler and 41 in the pick and roll overall, like only trapping five of those is really low for the Raptors. Um, but again, th- that's a thing where that's someone like me or you sitting there and logging, whether it's a trap or not, um, you know, maybe, mm. maybe Nick's definition of a, of a trap or, or, um, or Kawhi's definition of what he's seeing is a little different. Um, you know, the numbers back up Nick's claim here that they didn't trap a lot. If Kawhi felt that way, I do wonder if maybe he was just anticipating it to such a level that like you can kind of evade a trap if you know a trap's coming right if, mm-hmm, especially yeah. if it's not a super aggressive one if, if it's not you know just past half court in the pick and roll and you're kind of trying to wall them off on the sideline at the the hash mark area which we've seen the raptors do you know to the hardened types even to the shade types at times um but i did think you know the root of what Kawhi was saying that 
there are some elements of predictability at this point with, you know, what's been an innovative defense, but a defense that hasn't changed a ton, a ton over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I, I thought when the Raptors came out to start the fourth quarter in their full court press, like the Clippers beat that with no oh problem, it like was immediately. So and yeah. I know it's a press. Like these are NBA players; they're NBA level passers and ball handlers. Yeah. You're supposed and the Clippers to be have a lot to... of ball handlers. That that too. Yeah, you know? and like Norm's really fast. It's hard to full court press Norm if he gets yeah. ahead of steam. But they they kind of handled that without much trouble. So I do wonder if you know that kind of thing was in Kawhi's head and in Nick's head, it's like, well, we didn't trap Kawhi and in Kawhi's head, he's like, but I saw a lot of familiar defense and maybe it's just a communication issue. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because I think there has been more pushback on, on, on Nick and the way he's sort of operated defensively, which traditionally the pushback has always been offensively. How do we improve? Right. Cause it's, it's usually one of the worst like half court offenses in the league Overall, they're actually okay just because of the fact that they're able to get on the offensive glass and, and get out in transition, which I don't think they actually did a great job of last night, but I think that's just the Clippers taking care of business. I, I don't have any issues with sort of like, uh, you know, giving the team credit. The Clippers played really well. But I, I think to me, it's like interesting because this year there's much more of a conversation, both from us in the media and also just, you know, seeing the fan base as well in pushing back on, on you know, Nick's defense and sort of are you getting the most defensively out of this group? Because when I'm looking at it, like the Raptors are 17th at defensive rating this season, you know, 113.7. Uh, this is from Basketball Reference. If you compare it to last year, that's a full three points per 100 possessions more than last season. And to be honest, we look, we, we saw defensive um, inconsistencies last season as well to start the year. And then, of course, from basically January on where the Raptors really locked in and were a top five defensive club. And that really propelled them to the strong finish they had last season. Hopefully that same sort of script happens this year with this team, especially because it's a very similar roster. But to me, it's like, is it sort of like a guys aren't guarding the ball well or not rotating well? Is it more like a personnel issue in terms of the front office not giving you enough pieces to work with defensively? Or do you think there is some merit in the idea that, you know, um, in terms of schematics, teams are really understanding how Nick wants to play it and finding ways to successfully counter it. Which one of those three is it? Yeah. I mean, anytime your, your defense drops off this dramatically from a top 10 defense to, uh, you know, a, a, a league average unit, you're going to have a lot of different explanations. The thing that stands out to me the most, and maybe this doesn't directly answer your question, but I, I think I'll round back to that is um, this team is maybe the worst team in the league at protecting the rim. And so you can look and opponents field goal percentage around the rim when if a shot isn't blocked is 77%. And then the Raptors don't rank super high in block rate either. So you have this very, very high percentage at the rim. You also have the Raptors giving up the second highest. You know, we talked when Nick Nurse kind of first got given more keys to the offense. And then when he took over as the head coach about shot spectrum, right? The most efficient shots on the floor are at the rim at the free throw line and along the three point line. Well, the Raptors allow more shots in those areas than any team other than the Orlando magic. So mm. not only are you letting teams shoot from the areas, you don't want to let them shoot. You're also letting them shoot a very, very high percentage there. Now that would tell me that everything is going wrong. It's not that bad because you know they're still a league average defense. It just feels so uncharacteristic for them to be even that low. Um, 
And then here's where I, I dug in a little bit because I was curious about this. Is this just the guy beating his man a lot? You know, we hear the term blow buys and coaches kind of will track that with their own internal definition of a guy on the perimeter getting blown by. And if that were the case alone, I think you would see a lot of um, unassisted baskets at the rim, right? Like it would be a guy breaking someone down and then getting into the paint. The Raptors actually have the highest percentage of assisted buckets allowed at the rim. So I think what we're getting into here is um, the help principles that the Raptors have aren't being executed well enough or they just don't have the personnel to execute them while protecting the rim. They ran a similar style the last couple of years and they had, you know, Alex Len, current starter for the Sacramento Kings, by the way, and Aaron Baines in there. And it didn't work that well, but you saw the benefit of at least having a huge body. Mark, with Marcus Gasol, they ran a bit more conservative of a system. And you saw how just the presence of a guy that size can deter teams from getting to the rim. Um, so this is kind of a rambly answer that's saying, yeah, there are breakdowns on the perimeter, but really when you are allowing more assisted buckets at the rim than any other team and more threes than most teams. Um, there is a breakdown in what the help assignments are and how those help assignments are getting executed because it's not one guy on the perimeter that leads to an alley-oop at the rim or, or an easy pass to a cutter or there was a possession a couple of weeks ago that stood out. It's I can't remember which one it was, but it was the most open dunk imaginable. Um, you can't have all that stuff adding up if it's just one guy. Um, and we know that they have the personnel to be better than this because even though they've been missing Precious Achua for the last 22 games, like this is almost the same group that last year was a top 10 defense. So uh, I don't have a, a quick solution for it, Will. But I do think that, you know, identifying that the way they protect the rim and keep teams away from the rim, that kind of has to be the immediate priority. And you build the defense out from there because you can only really get away with that. If you have an elite rim protector team full of six foot eight and six foot nine guys does not have that. Yeah. And, and listen, I, I do think that Precious did a great job for the Raptors defensively last season. There's Big really time. no doubt about that. Um, you know, and I think that. I understand the the optimism around the fact that he is around the corner. Like literally just down at practice, like the doors open to the reporters around, I would say like 1145-ish. So we were upgraded able to get to into questionable. the questionable. Upgraded to questionable. We was upgraded to doubtful, didn't play. He got to speak to the media today as well, which is always a good sign. When they start talking to the media, it's usually a good sign that they're pretty close to returning. Um and in even just watching Precious work out, it was like an hour and a half after practice and you know, McKechnie's on the sideline and, and, and the, the Raptors uh, director of, of uh, you know, just sports medicine. And, and he's just watching the whole time and Bobby's watching and everybody's around kind of just seeing him go through his individual workout. And they ran through him like every drill imaginable. Like at one point we were waiting a long time, which we don't mind. Honestly, it's fine. But like, you know, just watching him like he they were even working on like uh, like fast fast break drills, you know, just him and, and, and Rico Hines going end to end. And, and running fast breaks. And it was like a, a clear sign that they're really trying to run him through his paces and really kind of see um, if he's available or not. But the thing is, too, is just like, I don't know. I, I want to caution a little bit in terms of just how much optimism or how much stock to put into Precious's return. Because because 
quite frankly, at the start of the season, I didn't actually see a lot of what made him successful last year, both offensively and defensively. And Nick kind of called him out for that as well. Um, how much of the Raptors' defensive issues do you think will be realistically solved by Precious? And and also, like, if it's not solved by Precious, then basically we've seen everyone av- available. Uh, we probably do need to see some action from the front office on, on that front, no? Yeah, Precious is going to help, certainly. Um, you look at what he did last year, and we were talking about him as, you know, like not even talking. There were stretches last year where he had gotten so good defensively that they were letting him guard James Harden so that OG could be used elsewhere, right? Like this is this is a guy who is tasked with guarding star players one-on-one on the perimeter, even though he's a big. Um, but yeah, you're right. You have to caution you have to be cautious with this because first of all, he wasn't playing super well before he got hurt. I, I thought his defense had been better than Nick maybe gave him public credit for, and more of his struggles were on the offensive end. But either okay. way, if you're not playing that well overall, it's not like you're going to step in and play 40 minutes a game and fix everything. The other thing is, while Precious definitely helps and he helps them execute the you know, kind of vision six, nine style of defense better. And he is probably their most natural rim protector of the undersized guys. Um, You know, statistically, he hasn't really had that impact on opponent offensive opportunities. Like when he's been on the floor versus off of it, teams have actually shot uh, a little bit more at the rim uh, when he's on the court. Now he's done a good job limiting those percentages but i think with the raptors system and style especially with precious at six foot nine and not being an elite shot blocker you'd look at the ability to deter teams from getting there first um but the other thing precious does other than fitting into the system and you know maybe letting them execute the current defensive ideology better is he gives you more stylistic flexibility because you can use him a couple different ways you can use him as that hyper switchy guy you can use him and drop a little bit more than maybe you're comfortable with you know we saw Thad and Scotty try to do it yesterday and Scotty did a, a decent job but you know Thad just can't get up like that you're so susceptible on the glass in those situations. So, um, and then precious also, you know, if he's playing well, gives you the opportunity to use him on a high end player to unlock more of the flexibility that OG and Pascal have where OG has pretty much gone back to, he's the shutdown corner on this team where whoever the best player is on the other team, OG's got him. Um, you know, if the good version of precious, the, the last 20 games of the season last year, version of precious opens up a lot of options for nick nurse i think yeah no i look i, I think he definitely helps i i think it does give something the raptors don't necessarily have even though he is similar size to a lot of the raptors players but i think there's a physicality element to precious's game he's definitely the most athletic guy on the team as well and i think that all that will help but yeah to me i'm just like i, I do caution the idea that like him coming back is going to solve all of the raptors defensive issues because the way i'm looking at it right now I mean, first off, defense is a five-man game. Second of all, the fact that the Raptors have given up 120-plus points in three of their last seven games, like, it's just a bad trend. And now you could say, like, you know, it's the first game after Christmas and, uh, you know, all all this kind of stuff. But, yeah, exactly. No, like, first off, like, they're pros, right? They obviously, everyone puts a lot of effort into this. People pay a lot of money to go see these games. And I didn't even think the Raptors gave themselves a chance to be in the game last night with how they play defensively. 
And it's just a shame, too, because this is a team that I keep coming back to this. Fundamentally, they're built on defense, whether that's Nick's philosophy, um, whether that's, uh, you know, the the roster that the, the front office has put together. Like, this is a team that's supposed to be great on defense, and we just haven't seen it yet this season. And until they get to that point, well, they, they got to be, like, top five on defense the rest of the way. And they got to flip that switch, whether that's from, you know, the, the players executing their schemes way better or just from getting additional help elsewhere to address sort of talent issues, particularly at center. Like, until that happens, the Raptors aren't going to be a very competitive team. Like, if they want to get back to where they were last year, which, by the way, they were supposed to improve on where they were last year. <laughs> but if we just kind of kept back to where they were last year, that defense has to get back to being elite. And I saw no signs of that last night, which is the most disappointing part. Um Offensively, Sorry, here, here's the yeah. other thing on Precious, if I, if I could just okay. kind of jump in to close it out, is um, you're right in everything that you said. And also, he had only played over 20 minutes once in his last seven games before he got hurt. It's not like, again, this is not a 40-minute a guy, a 40-minute a night guy. He played 30-plus minutes twice in 12 games before he went down. This isn't a, a fix everything. But yeah, you know, five, I tweeted this last night. Five of the Raptors' six worst defensive games of the season have come since December 11th. That's an eight-game span. So basically, everything is getting worse. So Precious, he, it can't hurt. It's going to help in some way, even if he doesn't end up kind of fixing everything. Um, you know, it, it almost statistically can't get worse lately. Yeah. No, for sure. Listen, we know they're better than what they showed last night, but they kind of have to consistently show it now. They really need to get some wins together. Um, Yeah, offensively, you know, I didn't think the Raptors had too much of an issue on that front just because of the fact that when you look at the overall numbers, under 13 points, the Raptors is pretty decent. They turn the ball over a little bit more than you would normally like to see, which is, you know, not something you see from that team all that much. However, losing Fred did obviously impact that. And we'll talk about that in the second half in terms of Fred's absence. Uh, if, if that does become a recurring theme. But to me, it, it was interesting watching the individual matchups last night. Pascal and OG trying to go at Kawhi and Paul George reminded me a little bit of when the Raptors had that same idea of Pascal and OG trying to go up against Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I mean, that's the eventual idea, right? To turn Pascal and OG into those levels of players. And I think Pascal has gone to that level offensively in certain respects. Um and I think OG obviously has is, is been great defensively, but can still take more steps offensively. What did you make of those two guys trying to attack Kawhi and PG, who are kind of like fully formed versions of what Pascal and OG eventually want to become? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me last night with Pascal was he had that 2 of 11 start and didn't lose the aggression at all. Mm, he was living right. at the free throw line from there. I think he went 11 of 13 after that. There's probably a small element of score effects there where guys like Kawhi and PG at this stage in their careers know when they can kind of take the foot off the gas defensively. Um, but I like also it. like I, switching I, Batum onto him and stuff like that. Like the first yeah. half was a lot of Kawhi and PG, and then the second half was a lot of Batum. Yeah, and obviously and Pascal by the way, I love Batum. that. I love that instead of being like the Kawhi Raptors were when things got out of hand, it was like, hey, go let one of the kids chase after the good players and and defend. And with the Clippers, it's like, no, 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 get the 34, 35-year-old guy. Uh, He's going to go chase these guys around. Um, No, I liked it. I I like the aggression. I I like the way that, you know, I, I mean, I just, I love the way so much that Pascal has been playing in general lately, but to start off that cold and, and, you know, bubble Pascal probably has that start looks across the court at Kawhi and Paul George and probably doesn't 
come out of it, right? Doesn't turn it around. Mm-hmm. Maybe withdraws a little bit. Maybe maybe just gets into facilitator mode. But that was a Pascal who still wanted to win that game. And I think, you know, maybe the most signifying thing, other than the fact that he ended up with 36 points and what looked like it was going to be a terrible night, is like the Pascal minutes without Fred and OG, the Raptors won really significantly. And yeah, that's those, those probably lined up with non Kawhi, non Zubats minutes, but it's still impressive that you know the the couple good stretches the Raptors had were pa- Pascal lifting a lesser lineup up rather than just you know fitting in around the the regular kind of core four. Now, part of that is Fred didn't have a very good night last night before he he left the game, but I still think it's uh it's notable because that's kind of the mark of a star, right? Is you can carry those transitional units. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it was interesting watching Pascal because um at the start of the game he was doing trying to do more of the face-up game, which he's been really good at this year. Um and he wasn't able to knock down a lot of his shots. Like I thought he actually got to his spots pretty effectively against Kawhi, against Paul George. He just wasn't knocking those shots down. And, and that led to the fact that he had a 2 of 11 stat line from the field at halftime. Um, and then, yeah, second half, he was just kind of turning on. It was just like, I'm going to go to the rim every single time. Obviously, you know, switching up assignments, you know, with a guy like Batum guarding him, he's able to get, not just beat him and get to his spots, but get to the rim, which is something at least Kawhi was at least keeping Pascal from doing. But to me, it was like, it, it was interesting watching that performance, especially within the context of seeing um, Ty Lue speak before the game. And Ty Lue kind of compared him to, you know, having a Giannis S element to his game. And second half, it was kind of like, just like, okay, yeah, the jumper's not going to fall. That's fine. I'm going to get to the rim every single time. And look, it didn't ultimately matter. And that's the part that was a little depressing was just like, okay, Pascal had this, another great game, but it didn't matter because the Raptors couldn't be cohesive defensively for it to even impact the game. But to me, watching the Pascal and the way he operated was really strong. And then with OG, I just thought that, you know, he was efficient in his opportunities, which is good to see. Um, Didn't get that many chances to score. Uh, Only took, I think, eight or nine shots in the game overall last night. But I think the the thing to me is just at times you still do see the handle being a bit of a weakness, right? Paul George was able to strip him a few times. I think OG finished with four turnovers, which is quite a few for a guy who wasn't even taking that many shots. So I think obviously there's more to go on the offensive end for OG. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's ultimately the goal, right? Like you you got to develop these guys into those top-level players. And there's still just a level below. Um, but, you know, at least hopefully one or two years down the line, we're getting pretty close to the, the, the time where they can give you that type of effect that Kawhi and PG can give for the Clippers and also that Tatum and Brown can give to the Celtics. And listen, those are very lofty goals. I, I know I understand exactly what I'm saying, where we're basically asking them to become the best players in the league. But that's also the whole project. That's Vision 6-9. No, that's, it's that simple. They should do that. They should become the best players in the league. And like, Blake, why it's... don't they do that? Why don't they average uh, 60 points between the two of them the way uh, Tatum and they Brown should... do? They should do that. No, but like this is kind of it, it could be a, a difficult part of having really good young ish players like this. But it's also the fun part is like Pascal has shown that like you literally can't put a ceiling on it. You can every step that he takes, he's going to also, you know, like you can't rule out the next step after that. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty fun. You know, OG maybe. uh you know, handle wise and kind of kinetic chain wise on the drive. There's more of a, 
of a ceiling there, but the ceiling is still like fringe all-star slash best role player in the league. So um, no, it's good to see. And I would say on a night like last night, I mean, I I guess you can't complain about the offense that much. Like the Clippers are a top five defense and that was a, a well below average game for them defensively. Like the Raptors did well to score. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more offensive opportunity for OG, but what are you going to do? Yeah. No, I mean, listen, those are tough matchups defensively too. Like that, that's the thing too, with, with both Kawhi and PJ and also Tatum and Brown, those guys play both ends of the floor at an elite level. And And if you're OG, like you were, you were tethered to Kawhi last night, right? Like the only four minutes you took off for the game were the minutes that Kawhi was, were minutes that Kawhi was off the floor. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he may or may not have had double teams to help him with. Uh, we we really got to go back and watch the film and, and see because, you know, Nick Nick was – he was a little not, – not say he was sharp. Like, we're not trying to be sensitive about the idea. I'm just saying that, like, it, it seemed like something that really did – he did want to push back on that idea. Now, the other thing that he kind of pushed back on was just uh, whether or not to play Chris Boucher – um, kind of did not do it last night. Um, and, and, and listen, for good reason. I, I didn't think Chris played well, right? Um, you know, and, and Chris got a chance to speak at practice. Nick got a chance to speak at practice, obviously. Uh, Nick, on Chris's performance, he just said flat out, Chris needs to play better, right? That's the quote. Chris needs to play better. And Chris Boucher, who only played nine minutes last night, um, who has not attempted a shot in the last two games. I didn't realize that. Good, good, good catch there from Josh Lewenberg. He said, quote, I just go with whatever the game plan is i haven't talked to nick about it so i don't really know what what have you made of, of the fact that it seems like at the start of the season chris was really consistent and we we're pretty happy with chris but then the last like two three weeks here his minutes have really come up and down and to be honest his play has come up and down to the point where nick is once again flat out saying he's got to play better yeah I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of it because boucher's kind of raptors career has kind of been defined by find it yeah there have been ups and downs and moments like you know that phoenix game where nick has to public or feels he has to publicly push him and that kind of shakes him out of it or whatever but for the most part if you go back to you know when he first joined this team on a let's say a full-time basis in the the run it back year like this is boucher's fifth year with the team um we can throw out the championship year because he was on a two-way or whatever and didn't play a lot but he has been like a pretty big consistent piece on a team that has lost Pascal for multiple stretches, OG for multiple stretches, Fred for multiple stretches, um, has seen Mark and Serge and Norm leave, has seen Kyle Lowry miss stretches and then leave. Like Boucher has quietly been something close to their Iron Man. It was actually like very odd to see him get a DNPCD just because it's odd to see him miss games at all. He played 80 yeah. games last year. He's kind yeah, of yeah. been their their Iron Man. So um, and I think a, a big part of him having an every game role for the most part over the last couple of years has been that, yeah, even if his scoring opportunities aren't there, um, you know, he finds a way, not every single game, but to more often than not to make an impact. And that's why, you know, I, I think even when he's played poorly for a couple games in a row in the past, Nick has generally found a reason to use him and it's because while well, Chris has shown that like on any given night, he could shake out of it and give you 20 off the bench and look like a six man candidate. Uh, I'm with you. I would say since, you know, just before the turn of at, at the start of December, he hasn't looked 
quite the same, um, hasn't been as aggressive, has been maybe a little more willing to hang out on the perimeter offensively, um, you know, really hasn't blocked shots at the at the level that we are used to seeing from him, except I think he had a bunch in those two Orlando games, but really not as much as we're, we're used to seeing from him. So, um, you know, sometimes this happens with role players where if you just get off track just a little bit, it's hard to it's harder to get back on track in his situation than maybe a starter because the opportunities are going to be a little more sporadic and you don't want to force it. I'm sure that's why Chris would tell you he didn't shoot very much of late is, you know, when you're not playing well, you don't want to take a bunch of shots. And that was the challenge for him in the the year he came up for the G League. Um, I don't have a good explanation for the the DNP, though, and only playing, you know, this makes 22 minutes over the last three games total um it's just i I feel like he's earned a little bit more leash than that uh over the years and and it's only going to get i think tougher because even though him and precious have a good chemistry together especially in transition um i'd imagine i mean they're they're literally a wrestling tag team at this point yeah like i'd imagine they're going to be fighting for some of the same minutes once precious comes back if he's back tomorrow yeah um I agree with you. I, I I do think Chris is. I mean, he he's just played pretty well uh, over the last like two three seasons. I mean, look, there there are things to sort of nitpick with him, and obviously, you know, we, I have a personal history with that. But at, at the same time, like I, I think we've really gotten to appreciate the positive of what he can bring. Look, I didn't think he played that well last night, but no, you know, at the same time, it it, it is interesting in terms of just like how do you manage the players' expectations? Because look, it's not just up to the player to always get themselves out of it. That's where the role of coaching really does come in. And it's like, how do we get Chris out of this role? Like, obviously, Chris hasn't played a lot, but the the ideal thing that you would like to see happen here is the coaching staff sits down with Chris and is like, hey, here's a couple more opportunities where you could have impacted the game, right? And when you think about the way Chris plays, no one runs any plays for him. Like, there's there's obviously seasons, and I'm thinking about Tampa in particular, where He's playing a lot more five. He's a lot. He's involved a lot more in screening action. He's able to sort of be just contributing in the box score just because he's setting the screen and and making a play and catching the ball and going from there. There's there's that element to it. Right now, his game is just strictly getting on the offensive glass, getting out in transition, and you know, occasionally catching a shooting from three, like he did in that Philly game, which was 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 kind of enjoyable to watch, but. There is nothing specifically run for him, and so that structure is not there offensively for him to be consistent. Now, obviously, I'm not trying to say that we need to make Chris Boucher like one of the featured guys in the offense. That's just not going to happen. There's more skilled guys in the team, and and his role is to sort of recycle possessions and be around the margins and things like effort and energy. He can control that himself. We've seen games this season where he's had eight offensive rebounds, seven offensive rebounds, six offensive rebounds in a single game. And so he can do more of that to sort of impact the game. But to me, it's also just like, how do we find a way to get him to be more productive? Because Chris is a pretty big piece for this team. He should be that kind of six man for you in addition to Gary. And do you want to hear an insane stat? Okay. How many points do you think Chris Boucher has this year as the role man? As the role man. So he's setting the screen. He's catching the ball on the move. I, yeah, is, is, no, no, no pick and pop. Just as the role, no, man. no pick and pops. I would, I don't know, man. Like twenty, it's got to be at least twenty. Zero. What? Okay. See. According to Synergy's data, he has only received the ball on the roll five times this season. Five times. 
0 for 4 with the turnover rolling to the basket. Uh, I think wow. that's probably there were entire games like last season and, and and definitely in the Tampa season where he would have the ball in a pick and roll setting like five games and a half, five times and a half. Yeah, five times all season. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I I don't know. Some of that is uh, certainly that you haven't had a lot of natural pick and roll handler play in the second unit. Maybe him yeah, and Malachi okay. could get something together, but he averaged like 1.34 points per roll when he got the ball last year. Like when he, yeah. when he finished the possession on the roll, he was really, really good at it. Right. And that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, and again, I'm not saying that like we got to make our whole offense about finding Chris Boucher on the roll, but if you don't give him that consistent structure or that even an opportunity to sort of be successful offensively, then inconsistency is going to come up and down. Now, the things that he can control, and I think that Nick probably sees, is like there's a play last night where OG was guarding Kawhi or maybe guarding Paul George, one of those two stars. And Chris's man came over to set the screen, and it was a bit of an indecision. Chris really looked like he was going to switch out on the on the assignment, which is not an ideal thing, but fine, whatever. If you want to switch out, switch out. But But he didn't switch. And then OG was also kind of anticipating the switch, so he didn't also stick close to... Kawhi or Paul George, and those got and they got wide open for a three, which obviously they knocked down because they're star players. And it's like things like that where it's like, okay, yeah, defensively, execution wise, like it, it's not mistake free. We know that with Chris, but yeah, it, it's interesting. There's a there's a lot of things going on in the team right now. Like it, it doesn't feel like you're super confident in 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 a lot of areas, even though we saw them have two really strong performances for wins, snapping uh, New York's win streak, snapping Cleveland's win streak. Um, they just weren't able to sort of maintain the momentum last night. And and hopefully they can kind of continue to roll here because they have a nice stretch here at home. But at the same time, you need to see that intensity defensively on a, every single night. You need to see your role player step up for you. And if not, then you probably will see some changes around this team. And it's not like it gets any easier. Like I know. So Friday, right. Devin, they, uh, they just announced right as we came on air that Devin Booker is going to miss four weeks or more with a, a groin injury, but you still got a pretty solid Suns team coming in on Friday and you have John Morant tomorrow. And if your issue is your defense has really struggled to keep guys away from the rim, I don't know that John Morant is the the best guy to come in here, especially with Steven Adams throwing all those borderline legal screens around. It'd be a good test for them tomorrow. Mm, yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about Fred Beverly's um, back issues and how the Raptors will adapt to that. And also some positive things in terms of Scotty Barnes really turning it around here, playing center um, on a more consistent basis. But for now, we're going to take a quick break. I've been your host, Will Lou, and you're listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, Blake. Um, one positive, one negative. Let's start with the negative. Um, so Fred left the game yesterday. Although, actually, he didn't really leave the game. So he, he suffered back spasms, left the game briefly in the first half to get um, it massaged out, and then was able to return to the game, started the second half, played a short stretch, and then exited the game. But he didn't actually go to the locker room or anything. He just actually just sat on the bench the whole time. Um, but he was unavailable to return because he had back spasms. He did not take part in practice today, although he was physically there, but didn't go through the practice itself. Um, what do the Raptors do if Fred misses time? Uh, yeah, that is a good question, man. Um, I think the one nothing but tough question. questions for Nick today, man. I'm telling you, that was a good presser to watch. He was uh, think- he was getting boxed in on all ends. 
I think one thing you have at least a little bit of confidence in is that Malachi Flynn's in a good stretch of play right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, last night I didn't think he had the best night as a playmaker, but he also spent most of his minutes with Pascal or Scotty being the main initiator. Um, yeah. We've seen the Raptors start to layer in a few more plays that involve Malachi. Now that they know he's going to see pretty consistent run um, another bit of vote of confidence in him and that Delano Banton was sent down to the nine Oh five. Um, so, you know, if there were, they could always call him back up the, you know, it's not, it's not that far, but uh you know, if they're going to have to give bigger minutes to someone uh, in Fred's absence, it's pretty clearly Malachi at this point. So I think that's the the one bright side there. You just continue to to roll with him and continue to do what you've done without him earlier in the season, which is, you know, Siakam and Barnes get a little bit more ball handling duty. And it's not it's not ideal. It hurts your spacing and things like that. But, you know, last night, again, Scotty, eight assists. Um, I, I think... If as long as it's a short term thing for Fred, you know, get right. And you hope in the interim that guys like Scotty and Malachi continue to show you what you need to see from, you know, as those kind of secondary ball handlers. Yeah. And, and look, the, the Raptors do have contingency in place. Like we, the Raptors have gotten fairly used to not playing with Fred in the lineup or playing with a limited version of Fred. Right. And so, you know, more ball handling reps for Pascal, more, you know, ball handling for, for Scotty and, and, and Malachi, as you're mentioning, it's stuff that those guys can take on and they can handle. Um, not to say that Fred isn't important, but yeah, I mean, I, I think to me, the bigger concern is just the drop off and three point shooting. Um, you just don't have a lot of it on the roster. And Fred had been turning around of late. Um, I, I went down to practice on, on Boxing Day as well. Man, look at me just going to the beat every single day these days. <laughs> During the holidays, no less. Uh, no, but seriously, it, it was good to speak to Fred because uh, he, he actually gave a really honest assessment of sort of how he's been playing this season and his change of role. But one of the things he was talking about in terms of his, his, his shot coming back around, at least sort of temporarily in the last two, three weeks, right? We got to see it for a more extended stretch. But he was talking about how he was feeling better physically, right? And and that was one of the elements that was helping him shoot the ball better. And now he comes down with with back spasms, which, you know, look, it's, it's back spasms. People are going to have it and it's going to be recurring. That's the part to me that's a little concerning. Can his can his body hold up? Can it can it be a situation where he can consistently play? Because the Raptors really do need him to be in the game, knocking out four threes. Like, honestly, that, that's the mark for me as a good Fred game. I know that defensively he's going to give effort, but he's going to be limited on that front, but he's going to give effort. Uh, he is going to distribute the ball, you know, a decent amount. But to me, it's like, can you knock in four threes for us? Cause that's the number I'm looking for from Fred on a nightly basis. And when he's out of the lineup, I just don't know who's going to replace that element. I mean, last night the Raptors didn't have a stellar three point shooting game either. Um, it, it's just, there's just not a lot of depth in three-point shooting, and so hopefully he's available to play. But uh, yeah, last night the Raptors were outshot fifteen to six. How many times do the Raptors only have six three-point attempts, Blake, or three-point makes, Blake? It's uh, it's, it's it's rare in the modern NBA. Let's just say that, especially coming off like their biggest three-point shooting I know. night in the last like, I know. two years. Yeah, like nineteen, right? They had that nineteen to beat the um the Cavs, and I remember pregame too. It was like. Somebody asked Nick, like, hey, do you believe one game can kind of snap you out of a shooting funk? Yeah. And he kind of, you know, laughed it off. And obviously it didn't really happen for the team. But listen, we've been talking about a lot of the negatives. I, I wanted to reserve the last five minutes here at least to talk about Scotty playing at center, who's 
He's being much more productive. I thought he was a big bright spot for the Raptors in the first quarter last night. Just go back and watch it. He was really energetic and active. Um, and he finished the game, you know, with uh, 17 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, a steal, block, shot 8 of 15 from the field. Wasn't able to knock down the three. Wasn't able to get to the free throw line all that much. But I didn't think he was bad at all. And I've, in fact, I've actually liked him playing center. Uh, what are what are some of the things you're seeing with Scotty? you know, essentially being returned to a role that he was successful in last season. Yeah, it's good. It's, uh, you know, I thought in the the Philadelphia game, part of why they were doing that was maybe just to kind of wake him up defensively, um, put Joel Embiid on him and make sure that, uh, you know, you're going to wake up pretty quick in a matchup like that. Uh, I also think, you know, whether it's, off-season stuff, whether it's flexibility, whether it's the the ankle and knee stuff lingering, uh, I've just thought Scotty has looked better in defensive roles that don't require a ton of that lateral agility. Um, you know, that's kind of an OG specialty, a precious specialty. Not every big versatile defender has to defend in the same way, and I think right now Scotty is better at using his size and his length to kind of disrupt people inside more so than he is on the perimeter. Um, So, yeah. And and then I think, you know, with Precious out of the lineup, this sounds hilarious, but, like, Scotty Barnes is probably your best rim protector because he's super long, he's tall, and, yeah, I think people at least expect him to to go up and contest around there. So um, it's not going to be the easiest of things night to night. Um, but given that he hasn't had the best perimeter defensive season and, and OG is OG, I think for right now, at least it makes sense to kind of keep Scotty in that role and keep OG defending the perimeter. And then offensively, I mean, we've been talking about for a long time that, and it's not exclusive to us, but wanting to see more of Scotty as a role man and as a screener. And that's, uh, I, I know that it's like a thing everyone you know, like even your rec league is running pick and roll and stuff, but becoming an effective screener and a smart screener and learning how to screen for Pascal versus Fred versus Malachi, that's all stuff that requires repetition and you got to mm-hmm. get good at it beyond just being strong. So uh, I think these these reps, this this little window can be good for him. And again, versatility doesn't necessarily mean a guy who's six foot nine has to guard point guards. It could mean he can guard the other direction too. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I I don't anticipate he's super thrilled with the idea just because of the fact that, you know, he sees himself as a point guard and, you know, this is literally the opposite of that. However, I think you can really sell him on the benefits of it. It does get him much more involved offensively where I think one of the weaknesses this season is seeing Scotty trying to break down his defender above the three-point arc, especially without a very consistent three-point shot to sort of um, create that sort of uh, threat to pull guys closer so you can get guys, um, you know, easier to to beat off the dribble. Um, this is one of those ways where when you're playing center and you're screening, and if you set a good screen and you create the advantage and the defense, you know, converges on the ball, which usually is what happens in today's NBA, the, the pocket pass is there for, for Scotty to attack or even just, you know, even without the screen, just attacking one-on-one in the post where he's able to either face up or back down and he's been going at guys like a Jared Allen, like an Evan Mobley, like Zubach last night. I thought he went at Zubach quite a bit. And you know what? When you play that small ball style, you do want to see your small ball five go at those traditional fives because of the fact that there are advantages in terms of quickness and length. And we do know that regardless of you know what the height mismatch is, Scotty's very strong. And he's got a very, very uh, solid 
uh, ability to finish around the basket with both left and right hand. And so he's able to get at these guys and still score. And then on top of the fact that you still have the ability to be closer to the, the rim so you can rebound more. He's, his offensive rebounding is higher nowadays. His defensive rebounding is strong. I thought he did a lot of – I mean, there were times last night where he was ripping the ball out of his teammates' hands just to push the break. And I don't mind seeing that easy from him. So, um, yeah, Blake, do you see this as like a more long-term kind of role for him or is it sort of just like hold the fourth down until we get more help at center? I think it's a hold the fourth down situation. I, I also think there's okay. an element of, you know, seeing what you can get out of him in this role when you haven't been the most thrilled with him in his last year role uh, so far this year. So I think, you know, I think we'll see it a little bit more. Precious, if Precious is healthy and good, take some of that pressure off putting Scotty in that spot. Um, but nothing wrong with it for a little stretch here. Yeah. No, it was interesting because I also asked Nick about it. I was like, hey, how did you sell Scotty on it? And was he happy about, you know, the change? And he was just like, yep, all good. Yep. So um, <laughs> I was certainly convinced. Anyway, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Rolu, and uh, I've been listening to the, the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Blake Murphy. Um, Blake, are you going to be back on the air later today? Nope. No? All right. Well, no, TV tomorrow. TV tomorrow. But okay. Drive time's right. off this week. All right. Fair enough. Well, we can catch Blake Murphy on this show every week at least. And uh, yeah, thanks to our board producer, Connor Lamont. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow to discuss the Raptors further in depth. We got an exclusive interview with Malachi Flynn. So check out for that.